Lord, thank you. Thank you for bringing us together tonight. Thank you for the ability to come and worship you during Holy Week as we prepare our hearts for, uh, for Good Friday and just for this whole idea that our, our God, our Creator, gave his life um, to free us from the power of sin, to give us new life and purpose right here on earth. Um, Jesus, we welcome you in this place. We thank you that you're already here. And Lord, I pray that we would have open ears and open eyes for what you want to do uh, tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, did you grow up being scared of the dark? Anybody willing to admit, like, nightlight, life, door open to the hallway? I mean, that was me, 100% me. Um, quite honestly, I think we're all scared of the dark. That's why they put a flashlight on all of our iPhones, uh, so that we always have it. We never have to stub our toes in the middle of the night, walk into the bathroom. We always have access to light. Um, I remember specifically begging my parents for specific types of nightlights, begging them to leave a crack in the door so I could see that hallway light at night, um, and anything to give me comfort and security that I was safe. And now as a dad, I've got a four-year-old son and a two-year-old daughter. Um, I'm on the other side now where my son will insist on having his flashlight on him at all times at night. He will not allow me to turn the light off. He won't go to bed without his flashlight. I think it gives him some security, makes him feel safe. Other nights, I think he just wants to look at all of his books, and yes, he gets all of his books into his bed and looks at all like 27 of them uh, before falling asleep on top of them, which is adorable. But I'll sneak in at night, and I'll, I'll go in once he's comfortably asleep to turn the flashlight off. Light brings security. Light brings safety. Light brings hope. But on that night, Jesus said, this is your hour when darkness reigns. Not light, darkness. Going into this week, uh, we really wanted this synergy to be a little bit different than normal synergy. As we are in Holy Week, as we are preparing our hearts for tomorrow, Good Friday, when we somberly reflect on the crucifixion of Christ, and as we move into Easter, when we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, uh, we wanted this to feel... Um, different. Um, but but I, I also wrestle with this idea of um, I don't want to steal from Good Friday. I don't want to steal from Easter. I want us to like really kind of move our way through this time. And so what do we do on the Thursday before Good Friday? And as I was thinking about that question, it got me thinking about, well, what was Jesus doing? What, what was he thinking? How was he feeling that fateful Thursday or whatever day of the week it was before the day when he himself was crucified? He knew what was coming. There was no doubt about it. There was Old Testament prophecy, and he was, in fact, God. So he knew what was coming. So what was he thinking? What was he doing? Uh, the story Sophia just read is a part of it, but I want to take even one step back further from that story. What happened right before even that uh, moment? Um, Jesus models for us what it looks like to both handle tough moments, to handle crisis, and even it just gives us a little bit of glimpse into the mindset of Christ going into Easter weekend. Um, so in the moment of crisis, what Jesus did, he retreated to a mountainside to pray. In Luke 11, starting in verse 39, it says, Jesus went out. His personal relationship with the Father drew him to his knees, crying out, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now, I've mentioned several times here, Jesus was both fully God and fully man at the same time. And in this moment, we see Jesus' humanity shine through. He's understandably nervous about what's about to come. He knows what he's about to endure. But even amidst his concerns, his divinity also shines through. Yet not my will, but yours be done, Father. 
He knew the Father's will was perfect. Even if there was pain around the corner, Jesus understood that his pain would bring freedom to the world. His sweat dropping like blood, falling to the ground. I personally can't imagine what it's like to be in his place, knowing you're about to be nailed to a cross. You're about to be whipped and tortured to the point of death and willingly accepting that fate. But his prayer strengthened him. He knew what was at stake. His love for you and for me outweighed his concern for his comfort. And it goes on in verse 45. It says, when he rose from prayer and went back to the sea, true, which, uh, again, we know Peter will eventually deny Christ three times. So Jesus instructs him to fall to their knees, pray for strength against temptation, because he knew the darkness was going to be indeed very dark. And there's no flashlights. So what happens next um, it's another powerful story, an illustration of just the heart of Christ uh, in the Gospels. Um, so continuing on in Luke chapter 22, um, this is what Sophia just read. We're going to read it again. Well, hops in the car, first time they got their license, they're real excited. And they lose control of the car, and they, they, they drive into your yard. They pop over the curb, they drive into your yard, barrel the car through your front door. The damage is everywhere. Not just your front door, uh, but the walls, the infrastructure of your house. Everything has been affected by this mistake. At this point, decisions must be made. The reality is that things have been broken and must be repaired. And someone has to pay that cost. There's no scenario here where no cost is paid. Someone will take on the cost and responsibility for what has happened. So you have a few options if this is your house. You can look at that teenage driver and say, you have to pay for this. Your mistake, you have to pay for this. Or you say, you know what, you're 16, you just learned to drive, whatever. Your parents are going to pay for this, right? They're going to pay the cost of this mistake. Or in a lighter, gracious moment, you might say, you know what, this is bad, but, you know, I had a great paycheck recently. I'll pay the cost of this mistake. More than likely, you're going to be calling up the insurance company and say, y'all paying the cost of this mistake. The point is, someone has to pay for the repair. Sin comes with a cost. That is some base, let me tell you. <laughs> That's real lovely. That was me when I was 16, by the way. Just so you guys know, like, I'd be pulling up to stoplights like, oh, I'm so cool, right? Um, so thank you. We'll just pretend that's part of the worship tonight, okay? point is, the car goes through, there's damage, and someone has to pay. That It might be different who pays in that scenario, but someone has to pay. And guess what, guys? Sin comes with a cost. Sin comes with a cost. Someone pays that cost. The damage is too great to ignore. So what did Jesus do? Instead of saying, well, it's your fault, you messed up, you do it, he said, you know what, I'll come down, I'll pay the cost. He died on the cross. He took our sin upon himself to become the ultimate sacrifice, satisfying all requirements, repairing the relationship between God and humanity. But the good news, guys, the good news of of Easter is that the Easter story doesn't end with the crucifixion. In fact, if all Jesus did was die, we have no reason to worship and celebrate. No, in fact, Jesus rose from the grave three days later and conquered death and conquered sin so that if we repent and we turn to him, we have endless grace, endless forgiveness and hope 
We can be free from the bondage of sin, our bad habits and addictions, the weight of our mistakes, the cost has been, fa- has been paid, and we are free to join God in bringing that message of hope and joy, the good news to a broken world. On that Thursday, many years ago, Jesus knew darkness would reign for an hour, but light would come in for eternity. It would have the appearance of hopelessness, but the night is always darkest before the dawn. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish you, and he loves you. And he knows all of your mistakes. He knows all of your baggage. He knows all the things that have been done to you and things that you've done too. And he loves you. He loves you. He wants you to know that you can be free from the baggage and weight that this world throws on you. He wants you to know that this life is temporary. It feels long, but it's a blip in the scope of eternity. And if you would trust in him, trust in the light he brings, trust the will of the Father as he did in that garden that Thursday, you will feel that unconditional love and grace and forgiveness of a perfect father. But instead of just getting up here tonight to tell you about this theoretical light, and hope, and joy, and forgiveness. Um, I actually asked a couple of our seniors to share for a couple minutes. Um, I asked uh, Josh Johnson and Emily Parker to answer one question for all of you tonight. Yes. I said, hey, would you, would you come up and just answer one question? Just answer one question. So what does Easter mean to you? What does Easter mean to you? So I want you to hear from their hearts how Jesus, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the hope of Easter has changed their lives. So one more time, guys, would you welcome Josh to the stage? Okay, okay, yeah. Hello? What's up, guys? So. Before I get into my story, um, so it's something that I just want to discuss. If, if my story speaks to you in any capacity, please come talk to me because I think sometimes we come up here and we talk about our stories, and sometimes we might have some fear to not actually go ask about it. So if my story relates to you in any way, please come find me. I, I would really love to talk to you further. So my story is one that is not very straightforward. Growing up, my family was basically in and out of the church, and we had a particular spiritual rhythm in our lives. We would attend a new church for some reason that I just didn't know at the time, just stop going. And then when we wanted to rekindle our faith, we would just try another one. And until I found the freedom that exists in Christ, I never really understood why. This mindset carried over into college. Um, In my freshman year, I felt God's calling to come to CSF. I had lost my faith in high school. I walked totally the different path from the Lord. But I still felt God's calling to at least come try out CSF. I came to a few K-Week events. Um, I even got plugged into a shift group. But that mindset still persisted in my life. And after about a month, I just stopped coming. And I stopped all correspondence with anything to do with CSF. And the reason, much later in my life, only about two years, I figured out why. And I struggle within achievement identity. I simply idolize success. 
And in this moment, what, what the enemy did is he distorted the Lord's truth. He made me believe and think that I had to earn God's favor. And I knew that I couldn't live up and be perfect before the Lord. So the easiest thing for me to do was to run away. Just, just run completely away and have no relationship with Christ. And so instead, I ran to what I thought and what the world thinks is the idea of success. And so I chased after uh, money. I chased after work and school. Um, um, basically, I worked 50 to 60 hours a week. I worked for a Fortune 500 company. I basically moved away from home, and I surrendered myself to school and work. I was simply chasing after gods and idols that just couldn't fill me, and I was chasing after the wind. But deep down inside, I still longed for certain things. Like, I still longed for love and intimacy and vulnerability and connection and friendship. And that void still persisted in my life. And with that, I replaced it with things that I shouldn't have. Replaced it with lies. I replaced it with secrecy. Replaced it with lust. Replaced it with shame. And I truly hated the life that I created for myself. I truly despised who I was. And the saddest truth about this was, is I couldn't even live up to, the, to my own expectation that I set for myself. And in these moments, I felt like a failure. I felt isolated. And I didn't even have God or Jesus to run to. Then, in my junior year of college, a friend invited me to his core group. It's a simple invitation. And the Lord changed my life. This time, I wanted Christ to change my perceptions instead of me trying to control them on my own. And this was key. And I needed God to shape me. And with that, I had to give all control to him. And Christ began to identify who he was through his work on the cross. In Christ's last moments, he said, it is finished. And when I truly began to believe this truth, my whole mindset in life began to change. Because it is Christ's work on the, on the cross and his accomplishment that truly could renew my identity and who I was. And I had to let go and allow Jesus to work in me and through me. Galatians 5.1 states, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened by a yoke of slavery. Once I accepted this truth, the Lord changed my life by first changing my definition of success. Instead of climbing a ladder that never ends, the Lord has changed my life's mission to live a life of significance. And by doing so, there's one thing that I had to do. I had to surrender. I had to surrender to Christ's work on the cross and allow my position with him to define me. My work couldn't define me any longer. With this newfound identity, the Lord has changed my motivations, my heart, what I find joy in. And this is my favorite part. Um, now, by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit, my life looks different. I personally want to sacrificially love my soon-to-be wife, Haley. I want to encourage and be vulnerable with the guys around me. I want to be intentional and proactive with the relationships and friendships that I have. And honestly, the most greatest thing of all is I want to share my freedom in Christ. In this Easter season, uh, one of our core group 
our core group members asked us what we want to pray over Easter. And my prayer is this, is that each of us, and some may already have, will submit and accept the Easter story and what Jesus accomplished on Calvary. Thank you all. Okay, I'm kind of tearing up because I've known JJ and Haley for a long time and have had the absolute privilege to get to watch the Lord change their life. So the Lord really does change and do remarkable things. It's just such an honor to be their friend. Um, but when David asked me to think about what Easter meant to me, I brought it to the Lord and started reflecting and praying. And I felt like the thing he kept bringing up to me was my desperate and ultimate need for a savior. Growing up, my family celebrated Easter, but I never really knew how much I truly needed Jesus. I went to church with my family every Sunday and didn't really pay attention, and I had been a part of the youth group my whole life, but I had no real relationship with Jesus and honestly didn't know who he truly was. On the inside, I was broken, and on the outside, I was very lost. I lived a life full of a lot of external sin and darkness. My life on the weekends was very different than my life during the week. And the sin I was living in was plaguing me from the inside out and seriously treated how the seriously affected the way that I treated the people around me. I had no idea how broken I was until I started reading the Bible and realized how perfect and set apart God truly is. And as I was reflecting on this question, I kept being brought back to the people of the Old Testament and how broken they truly were. The kings and judges were supposed to lead with righteousness, but were murderers and adulterers and liars. They continuously sinned and created disaster, but God forgave their sin and passed over the judgment that the law said they deserved. The leaders from the Old Testament were a lot like me. They lived a life full of sin but God forgave them despite their disobedience. And I think one of the most amazing parts of the gospel is how Jesus willingly gave his life. He came down from heaven as the king of all, and he died on the cross as king of all. He was fully man and fully God, when, fully God which makes his obedience on the cross so remarkable. Jesus was the only person on earth who did not deserve the wrath of God. Yet he suffered the full wrath of God on behalf of every sin ever committed. So that's why God was able to forgive the kings and the judges and the Israelites in the Old Testament. Because a thousand years after the sins of David and Solomon and Gideon were committed, God would send his son Jesus to take the punishment they deserved. And this was no coincidence. All throughout the Old Testament, we see the prophecy of the Holy One who had come and fulfill the law. And that is Jesus. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said that he did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. The prophet Isaiah wrote 700 years before Jesus came down from heaven that one would be rejected by men and pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. But by his wounds, we would be healed. And that's exactly what we see in the story of the crucifixion. Guys, we never stood a chance. Me or you or the people in the Old Testament 
were eternally doomed because we could never measure up to God's perfect moral law. But God knows us, and no, we could never withstand sin. But he shows his kindness to us through the sending of his perfect son, Jesus, to take our place. The blood of Jesus is on my hands and your hands, but it is the only thing that can wash us free from sin. And when I came to that realization, everything changed. God no longer sees me for my sin, but as the righteousness that only Jesus earned. And not only does he see us as righteous, but he calls us beloved. He lavishes his love on us and desires our love and obedience towards him. I realize that my obedience to Jesus here on this earth is such a small thing to ask in comparison to what he did on the cross. And the more that I've been following Jesus, the more I seek to obey him. The Bible says that his rules are perfect and give us life. And I've truly experienced and learned that. The more that I reflect on the gospel, the more beautiful Jesus becomes and the closer I want to draw to him. And the, close, the more I draw to him, the sweeter life here on earth becomes. Thanks, Emily. Um, I'm, just so, I'm so grateful for their willingness to come up and stand in front of you guys tonight and share from their hearts. And I hope you heard um, just this overwhelming love for the Lord that kind of stems from them understanding how much the Lord has loved them first. Um, and, and that is the Easter story. It's that Jesus was willing to do whatever it takes to reunite with you, to reconcile with you. Um, sin created a barrier. It created a separation. Christ mended that relationship. Um, so we're going to take a moment tonight uh, to respond to the gospel. Um, and there's a, a, a couple things that we're going to do. We're going to have some communion. We're going to have some prayer. But before we do that, um, I'm just going to ask um, just for one minute of just kind of silent reflection. I want to give us all space because sometimes it's like we're so busy, on to the next thing, checking our phones. I want to give us all just a minute of just silence to just reflect and ask the Lord what he would want to tell you tonight. Just be honest and open up and just say, Lord, what do you have for me tonight on this, you know, Thursday before Good Friday, before Easter? What do you need to speak to me tonight? Because I'm listening. Take one minute to reflect. 